0: Take your Bibles out and turn with me this morning uh, back to the book of Acts. We're going through a series on the book of Acts entitled, Good News for the World. And today we're in the fourth message in that series, Continuing Steadfastly. And so if you would find Acts chapter 2 and we'll begin reading in verse 41 and reading down through verse 47. Luke writes, he said, so those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. of redemption, that Jesus Christ died on the old rugged cross for my sins and for everyone's sins who place their faith in him. And then after being born again, God, it is your plan that we become a part of a church, your family, where we meet together, we pray together, we Read and study your word. We do missions and ministry together. Lord, we're not intended to be Lone Ranger Christians. You intend for us to have a spiritual family. God, we thank you for that. We thank you for our spiritual family here at Pitts. And God, we pray for your blessings upon us. We pray that you would help us to be found faithful, Lord, that we would exist in all ways to bring you honor and glory. That we would help our brothers and sisters in the Lord to to be strong in their walk with you. To be devoted. To be serving others. Lord, help us to be salt and light in this community and beyond. Teach us from your word this morning what it means to be the church As we learn from the example of the early church. And God, I want to ask you to work in a special way in the hearts of those who may not yet have a relationship with you. That your Holy Spirit would do in them today that which only He can do. And that is to bring conviction and regeneration. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Dr. John John R. W. Stott has a wonderful little book out that's entitled, What Christ Thinks of His Church. And in that book by Dr. Stott, he looks at the seven churches in the book of Revelation. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you may recall that the resurrected and glorified Lord Jesus... Is examining each one of those congregations And as he does so He points out the good, the good things that they have the, the things that they are doing right And then he also points out things that they need to change I think for instance of what the Lord said to the church at Ephesus You'll remember the church at Ephesus was a very hard working church In fact the Lord commended them for their labor And the word that's used for their labor stands for a tireless labor that would bring exhaustion They were busy working for the Lord And they were sound in doctrine and the Lord commended them for both of those things But then he went on to say yet I have this against you You have left your first love Somehow or another, in all of their busyness for the Lord, they had grown out of love in their relationship to the Lord Jesus. And he was calling them back to that. Then I think of his words to the church at Pergamum. They were compromisers. And Jesus said to them, repent or I'm going to come to you and make war against you with the sword of my mouth. At Sardis they had fallen asleep and Jesus said it's time for you to wake up and strengthen the things that remain because I've not found your deeds complete. And then at Laodicea we're told that they were lukewarm. They were neither in the kingdom nor out of the kingdom. They had perfected the art of living with one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. And as Jesus looked at them, he said, you nauseate me because you're neither hot nor cold. I wish you were one or the other, but because you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. Now what a contrast we see between those churches and the church in the book of Acts. Both in character and mission, the church in the book of Acts stands out as a model to us today. Now folks when you think about it today in this one location just this one church right here about 7 to 750 of us will gather today and we stand on the shoulders of those early believers in the book of Acts. When you think of all Christians meeting all over the world today millions and millions of believers We all stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before us. What a tremendous legacy that they left. And there were only 120 of them. And of course we saw last week how that 120 had grown to 3,000. But when you read the book of Acts you see what awesome things God did through them. And there's only one explanation for that. And that explanation would be that Jesus is doing exactly what he said he would do. He said in Matthew 16, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And that's what what we see him doing here in the book of Acts. It's a tremendous thing to look at their testimony and to see what we can learn from them. What did they look like and what did they do? Now folks, I'm not suggesting that the early church was perfect because they weren't. But I want you to remember these were men and women that had walked and talked with Jesus. The apostles had been discipled by Jesus for a period of three years. You would certainly expect that they had their finger and their pulse, uh, the pulse of the Lord's intention, a lot better than perhaps many do today. And so, how did they live? How did they conduct themselves? What do we need to continually learn from them today in terms of ministry? And that's what I want us to look at today. I want us to see both the vibrancy and the practices of the early church. And what we need to understand today is regardless of the methodologies that may change as we go through the centuries. Regardless of methodologies that that may change, there are some things... That have to remain the same. There are some things that are biblical principles that we dare not move away from. In fact, there are some things if we move away from, we would even jeopardize calling ourselves a New Testament fellowship anymore. And so what were some of those timeless principles that we see in them? Well, first of all, I want you to notice with me this morning, first of all, that they were a converted church. Look again in verse 41. It says, so those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Who is the church? Well, the church is you and I. But the church is made up of the redeemed. In our hearts the Holy Spirit has convicted us of our sin and and drawn us to faith in Jesus Christ. It is a spiritual birth from above. Remember Jesus' words to Nicodemus. Nicodemus came to him by night. Nicodemus was a leader among the Jews He was a spiritual leader And yet he was a lost man And and Jesus said to Nicodemus Nicodemus unless a man is born again He shall not see the kingdom of God The new birth is a birth from above It is a birth that, that the Holy Spirit brings about in our hearts When he convicts us of our sin the helplessness, the desperation of our condition that there's nothing that we can do to save ourselves and we trust in Christ and Christ alone to save us and he does that work inside of us of making us a new creation in Christ. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins but God because of his great love for us he quickens us, he saves us. That's what the Bible refers to as the new birth. And ladies and gentlemen, that's what it means to become a Christian. A Christian doesn't mean simply that your name is on the roll of a church somewhere. But being a Christian means that you have been changed. That the Holy Spirit has gotten a hold of your heart and you've been saved. You've been reconciled to God and today you enjoy a state of being at peace with God. And you have that promise, that promise of eternal life that because your name is written in the Lamb's book of life, you don't even have to fear death. You see, if you've only been born one time physically, you're going to die twice, physically and spiritually. But if you've been born twice, not only the physical birth, but also the spiritual birth, then you'll only die once. But the Bible says of that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And so if you're a child of God, if you're saved, you have nothing but peace and and joy and assurance of spending eternity with God. And God has made you a part of his family. And that's what this early church was. They were redeemed. Now we know today that the the church is universal in its scope. There are Christians meeting all over the world today. And those who have been born again are our brothers and sisters in Christ. We're a part of the universal church. But we don't worship with the universal church. The church is local in its expression. We identify with the local body of believers. Now I want to remind you what happened on the day of Pentecost. Pentecost was the birthday of the church The Holy Spirit came on them They were waiting in Jerusalem just like Jesus told them to do And the Holy Spirit came on them And when he came on them and filled them And they began speaking in other languages To the multitude that was in Jerusalem that week for the feast of Pentecost People from all over the world back then speaking their own dialects had come into Jerusalem. And when the Holy Spirit filled the early church, they began preaching about Jesus in the languages of those who were in the city. And some wondered what was going on. They said these men are Galileans and yet they're speaking the gospel to us in our own languages. What's going on? And Peter stood up and what did Peter do? Peter preached the gospel. He preached Jesus. He preached about the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus And the Bible says in verse 37 and following that as he preached many of them in the multitude that day Became convicted of their sin and said men and brethren what must we do? And Peter and the apostles said you need to to repent and, and believe upon the Lord Jesus and be baptized in his name This is the promise for you and for your children And the Bible says that day that the 120 all of a sudden grew to be a multitude Of about 3,000 people They were converted The early church was made up of those who were converted Now folks, I can't emphasize that enough today We, We dare not take any shortcuts here To be a part of God's church Means that you have been born again You've been redeemed You've been converted That's what it essentially means to be a part of the body of Christ. Now that raises another question that some are asking today. Is it really even necessary to be a part of a spiritual family? Is there really such a thing as New Testament church membership? And I think we can say to that, yes, there's good evidence that even in the first century there was membership. We're not told how such was recorded. But nonetheless, I want you to think with me a moment about when Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5 that they were to expel the immoral brother from their midst. That implied membership. You can only be expelled from something that you are a part of, a member of. And also we see mutual accountability in the New Testament. All of that assumes some type of formalized gathering together. There were those who may have come to hear and, and, and then there are those who have taken that next step of truly belonging. Because they've been redeemed. They've been saved. Just like we're intended to have a physical family when we're born We're born into a family. Well, the same goes when we're born spiritually. We're born into a spiritual family. You see, in His sovereign will, God has determined that believers are not supposed to flounder on their own out in the world, but we're to be an active part of of a corporate assembly. And we better express God's will and God's purposes and God's glory when we take part in a spiritual family. And in the New Testament, we see that when somebody came to saving faith in Jesus Christ, they became a part of a local family. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, for instance. He wrote to the church at Ephesus, to the church at Thessalonica, to the church at Rome. These were local fellowships. Folks this was serious enough that it would certainly appear in the New Testament That to refuse to be a regular part of a church fellowship Is to disregard and disobey God's plan and God's intention for believers In fact in Hebrews chapter 10 the Bible says that we are not to forsake The assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some But we are to meet together regularly and as we do we are to pray for one another, we are to encourage one another and we are to stir one another up to love and good deeds. And he says we are to do this all the more seeing the day approaching, the day of Christ's return approaching. Furthermore, in talking about membership, you'll recall Paul spoke to Timothy in 1 Timothy about having a list, a formalized list of widows. There was a qualification of what it took to be on that list of widows. Some some could be on that list and some could not be on that list. Again, that implied membership. James added orphans to that list of widows. Ephesians 4, Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about gifts that God gives to the church. Gifts of leaders and other gifts in the body of Christ so that we work together and the leaders help everybody to be sound in doctrine so we're not tossed to and fro with every little doctrine that comes down the pike. My point is that church membership is very biblical. It's very biblical even though the steps to it may not be as clearly outlined as we would like. Remember Jesus said, I will build my church. And so I want you to understand today that the church is God's invention. Folks, this is not the invention of men. The church is God's invention. Every believer is to have... that safe place that we can attend together, worship together, together as a body of believers, we lift up the name of Jesus Christ, we strengthen one another, we help one another, and then together we go out into the world in our community to be salt and light. And that's what we see taking place here. And the first ingredient is that they were a redeemed body of believers. They were made up of those who had had that new birth experience. Folks, that is a principle of the church today that can never go away. The church is made up of the redeemed. Now, second thing I want you to notice about them is that they they were devoted. Look at verse 42. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It shows an ongoing, the tense of the verbs here shows an ongoing process. They were continually devoted to to these four things that he mentions here. And the first thing we come across that they were devoted to, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Now what would that be? That would be doctrine. Doctrine always comes first. Precept comes before practice. Experience must always be tested against doctrine, not doctrine against experience If somebody claims to have an experience that is not biblical, then it is a suspect experience For an experience to be authentic, it ought to match up with what the word of God teaches And that's what we see in the early church. They were Bible built and Bible based. Folks when you come to church I believe that you ought to be hearing what God says in his word. We come to church and we open up the Bible, God's Word Whether it's in worship or whether it's in Sunday school This is the business of the church to be studying God's Word It amazes me to hear people tell me uh, in this day and time That they go to church and never hear the Bible They visit churches where the the preacher may never even open the Word of God Or where the Sunday school teacher may never even open the Word of God And that just blows Close my mind How can that be Because in church we ought to be studying God's word You would think that would be normal Reminds me of a story I told you a couple of years ago about the man who went down to a pet shop and he was looking at all the animals and the pet store owner said, "Come here, let me show you a couple of birds that I have here, a couple of parrots." And the man was interested and he said, "How much are they?" He said, "Well, one of them's $25 and one's $100." "Well, what's the difference?" The pet store owner said, oh, the $100 one can talk." He said, "Well, I'll take that." One. He took it home, came back a few days later, said, This bird's not talking. He said, Did you buy it a bell? It's got to have some entertainment. It's got to peck on that bell and hear some noise if he's going to start talking or singing or doing anything. And so he coughed up more of his hard-earned money, and, and he bought a bell. And came back a few days later and said, this parrot's still not talking. And the pet store owner said, well, did you buy a ladder? It needs a ladder to run up and down and get some exercise. And so again, he poured, pulled out his wallet, and he bought a ladder. Still a few days went by, and the parrot wasn't talking. He went back to the pet store owner and said, what do I do now? He said, did you buy it a swing? It needs uh, needs to have some fun. It needs to have a swing to swing on. And so again, he coughed up more money. Well, a few days later, he came back. He said, I want all my money back. And the pet store owner said, why? He said, because that parrot that you sold me died. He was running up and down that ladder and ringing that bell and swinging on that swing and all of a sudden his little legs went up in the air and he fell back on his on his back and he was dead. And the pet store owner said, "Well, did he ever talk? Did he ever say anything before he died?" And he said, "Yeah, he did." He said, "Does that owner down at that pet store not have any food?" You would expect to go to church today and there would be biblical food. There would be teaching of the word of God that would go on. But in so many places they have the bells and the whistles and the ladders and the swings. But nobody is expounding the word of God. What a shame. Paul in, in 1 Timothy uh, and 2 Timothy told Told Timothy how necessary it is that you and I remain grounded in the word in 1 Timothy 4.13 he says until I come give attention to the public reading of scripture to exhortation and teaching in 1 Timothy 4.16 he says pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching persevere in these things for as you do you will ensure salvation both for yourself and those who hear you in 2 Timothy 1.13 13- and 14 Paul says retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus guard through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us the treasure that has been entrusted to you what's he talking about the treasure he's talking about Christian doctrine where do we find that we find that here And folks we read in the book of Acts here that as the disciples met together they continued steadfastly devoting themselves to the apostles teaching and it's a testimony to you and me today that Christianity is built on the gospel. We are to remain in the apostles teaching. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. You see, I'm stating the obvious here, but when we come here to worship, ladies and gentlemen, we're not Muslims. We're not Hindu. We're not New Age or something else. We are Christian. And there is a body of truth that is the foundation of Christianity. And we're to continue in this book. That means when you and I attend church, we ought to hear a very distinct message out of the word of God. And it ought to be a message that ultimately, more than anything else, lifts high the name of Jesus Christ. Because he said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. Over in Acts 4.13, Peter and the apostles are going to tell the multitude there is salvation in no one else, only in the name of Jesus Christ. It matters what we believe. In Jude 3, the Bible says that we are to contend for the faith once for all delivered to the saints. Folks, all of this implies that truth matters. Contrary to what some people want to say today Truth matters Now I've given you a list there in your notes Of the five basic Christian doctrines That, that have For centuries been considered the just basic foundational doctrines And those would be the inerrancy of scripture The virgin birth of Jesus Christ The substitutionary atonement of Christ The resurrection of Christ And the second coming of Christ It's hard to see how a place can truly call itself Christian Without at least those five basic orthodox beliefs or affirmations we're in a battle for truth today. And post-modernity it's usually held that there is no such thing as truth or there's no such thing as absolutes. I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from certain people. No such thing as absolute truth. Just stop them right there and say, well, is that statement an absolute truth? Because they'll say, there's no such thing as absolute truth. We'll pay thousands of dollars to send our kids to a, to a university. And some of the professors will tell the kids there, there is no such thing as truth. A student ought to raise his hand and say, excuse me, prof. If there is no such thing as truth, then why do I need to be listening to your lecture?" I mean, why is there even a need for a university in the first place if there's no such thing as truth? I thought I was coming to the university here because there are consistent principles of mathematics or science or physics or whatever it is. And so if there's no such thing as truth, you can turn in your calculus page, all those problems on it. Just mark the same answer all down the page and tell the professor, Hey, if there's no such thing as truth, my answers are as good as your answers on that. Give me an A on that paper. You can't fail me. Of course the absurdity of all that We know that in the world around us There is truth And likewise spiritually speaking There's truth And we see of the early church That they were devoted and dedicated in their lives To God's truth God's truth meant something to them In fact in 2 Timothy 2 Paul called out a couple of individuals By name even Who had deviated from the truth and they were leading others astray. In 2 Timothy 2, uh, he spoke of those whose talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place and thus they upset the faith of some. They were devoted. They were devoted. To truth they were devoted to the apostles teaching secondly of all here we see that they were devoted to fellowship the word is koinonia we need to understand folks that koinonia is something much more than enjoying coffee and donuts together biblical koinonia is that bond that the Holy Spirit brings about between believers in Christ Have you ever noticed you can go anywhere in the world and meet with Christians and it's like instantly there is that bond. You have something in common. You can go go halfway around the world and run into your brothers and sisters in Christ and just immediately feel comfortable around them and a commonality because you're part together of God's family, your brothers and sisters in Christ. There's a koinonia. Jesus said in John 13, that all the world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Koinonia. It's been said that the world will not care how much we know until they know how much we care. Koinonia. Biblical koinonia. We need to understand that as we meet together in a fellowship And as we live life together That's what we're doing We're, we're living life together We build relationships here And, and then during the week We uh, we continue to meet together In different uh, studies Small groups uh, Midweek services There's that koinonia We're doing life together When we learn about one another's needs And burdens And, and we pray for one another We minister to one another We check on one another That's biblical fellowship Well the third thing we see that they were devoted to Was the breaking of bread There's the definite article here that goes with bread Meaning it says the bread That is an obvious allusion to the Lord's Supper The Lord's Supper is one of two ordinances for the church today There's baptism and the Lord's Supper and the ordinances communicate the gospel. They communicate. The gospel in a visual way When somebody enters the baptistry and they're lowered into the water It is a picture of the death, the burial and the resurrection of Jesus Christ And the person being baptized is saying my life is joined with him I believe in his death, burial and resurrection The only means of my salvation It is also a picture of that believer too saying My my old life without Christ is buried, it's gone And as they come up out of the water, this is the new me with Jesus Christ on the throne of my heart The ordinances communicate The Lord's Supper, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper together It communicates the sacrifice of Jesus Christ there on the cross in fact, the Bible says whenever we celebrate the Lord's Supper together, the breaking of the bread together and, 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 the, uh, and the juice or in some churches the wine, whatever it is, uh, as you're celebrating the Lord's Supper together, it is a picture of the body of Christ being put on the cross and crucified and His blood being spilled out. And again, that ordinance is, that ordinance is telling the world, this is my only hope of salvation. In the Gospels, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And as as often as you do this, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. The ordinances communicate. So the early church consistently devoted themselves to the ordinances. We're not told in the Bible, we're not prescribed how often they have to take place But in any church, periodically, the ordinances should be taking place They were also devoting themselves to prayer Every great movement of God that I'm aware of was birthed through prayer Sometimes it was college students Meeting on a campus together and praying Sometimes it was businessmen and women On their lunch hours Meeting together and praying Sometimes there would be no music Or anything involved They were just meeting together and praying And God birthed Revivals The early church Was devoted to prayer Through every stage of the book of Acts, we're going to see that these men and women got on their faces before God and they depended on God. They had none of the technology that we have today and yet God used the early church to shake the, the foundations of the ancient world. Today we have all this technology and so oftentimes it seems like we accomplish so little. What's the missing ingredient? I believe the missing ingredient is prayer. They were devoted to prayer. Now third thing I want you to see about this fellowship, they were a loving church. Look at verse uh, 44, it says, And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now at one time, this, this was a passage used by communists to insist on denying private ownership. That's not what this passage says at all. The sharing here was voluntary. It's also in the imperfect tense. And what that means is that as needs arose, people did whatever they had to do to share. Uh, They they had a view that if you had a need and I could meet that need, I would help you out. Even if I had to forego something. But it happened as needs arose. Everybody didn't run out and sell everything. That would have, have left them all destitute. As needs arose, they met those needs. Now, folks, that right there is the answer to Jesus' prayer in John seventeen that that his disciples would be one. They seemed to understand that they were a group of individuals who were to live life differently than the world. And so they needed to stand together. They've been called out of the world. We've been called out of the world. We're still in the world, but we're not to be of the world. And so we need to look after one another. We need to take care of one another. It ought to be a given in the church today that if there is another brother who is hurting, we come alongside that brother in hell. Now believers were commanded to be responsible and productive so they wouldn't purposely become a a burden on others. At Thessalonica some of them were leaving their jobs and going outside the city and sitting on a hillside looking up at the sky and waiting on Jesus to come back. They became destitute and they became a burden to the church to where Paul said if a man won't work neither shall he eat. But if that brother is living a productive life and there's a crisis that develops in his life There's a need that develops in his life It's our responsibility to come alongside of him or her and help them Folks in the first century You know today it's like everybody's waiting on somebody else Everybody's waiting on the government to do something In the first century the church members looked after one another they were a loving fellowship, a loving family. This past Thursday at a funeral down in Pageland, South Carolina, Mary and, Mary and Pressler's sister Bernice passed away, and and uh, some of us were at that funeral, and the preacher got up and said something that, that I loved. I thought, that's that's. That's church, that's the way it's supposed to be He talked about the church family and how they were, how they were such a loving family there they, they, they were like family and I thought that's how church is supposed to be And that's why I've said to some of you That you've got to get involved in a small group of some sort Whether it's Sunday school or a prayer group, or a discipleship group, or an individual ministry within this church. You've got to get involved in a small group where people learn something about you and learn your needs and burdens, and they know how to more effectively pray for you. You can't run in a sanctuary five minutes after the service begins and then get up and walk out about two or three minutes before it closes and then stand back and say... Nobody's friendly to me You can't do that You have to be a part of a, of a family Now people have said This is a friendly fellowship And I hope we are But we can't be If you don't allow us to be If you don't get involved In some type of small fellowship Where I was before here Associate pastor Of a of a larger church than this And j- the the time I landed down at that church, I, it was probably my first week. And there was a man that came to me and he said, Pastor, we're, we're, I just want you to know we're leaving the church. He said, we can't make friends here. And I said, well, Wayne, Wayne tell me something about it. And he started talking and it became clear that after the service started he and his wife would slip in, sit on the back row and during the invitation they would slip out and they never took place in anything. And he kind of dropped his head and he said, Pastor, I see where you're going. He said, "Uh, I guess we've kind of brought this on ourselves, haven't we? You have to be a part of a small group. And as you're a part of that small group and people learn your needs and burdens and pray for you, we're we're able to love one another and take care of one another uh, out of that environment. And that's the problem I have with some of these churches today that meet in a stadium or something and there'll be 15,000 people that drive in and the band plays and they go for some kind of show and then it's over and they jump in their car and they leave and there's nothing else take place. I call them Christian event centers. They're not churches. Ladies and gentlemen, we are to be a church. And as part of a church, we look after one another we love one another we take care of one another we're family and that's why I've also asked you that anytime we're having a program, it might be a children's program, and you may not have a child in the program. You may not have a grandchild in the program. Or it might be a senior adult program, and you may not be a senior adult yet. One thing's for sure, if you live long enough, you'll become one. But a lot of times people say, I'm not coming to that program because it doesn't have anything to do with me. I don't have anybody in that group. Well, ladies and gentlemen, if that's your brother or sister in the Lord, it has everything to do with you. They're your family. They're your spiritual family. And so we need to support one another. They were a loving church. They were a converted church, they were a devoted church, they were a loving church. It's no surprise what comes next. Look at verse 47. They were praising God, having favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. They were a growing church. The world looked at this fellowship and the world saw something different about this fellowship. And those in the world, they wanted to be a part of it. And so they heard the message, they came under conviction themselves, and they became a part of it. But I'm convinced one of the things God used to grow the church, in addition to the message preached that is essential, it's when the world noticed how the believers related to one another. There was something contagious that took place. What is it people in the world want today? They want a sense of belonging, right? They want to know that somebody loves them. Somebody cares about them. There's a sense of belonging. They matter. And that's what a church family ought to be about. Expressing that people matter. People do indeed matter because Jesus died on the cross. He gave his life for people. And so when people find a group of Uh, Of other people where people matter Where people are loved Where their needs are met And they're ministered to Guess what? People want to be a part of something like that Amen? That's what the early church was And God added to this church daily Those who were being saved Folks, what a model what a model the early church is for us today. Somebody responded one time to their pastor. They responded, they, they said uh, to their preacher, but preacher, if the church of today was like the church in the book of Acts, everybody would think we're nothing but a bunch of fanatics. He said, Well, I'd, I'd rather be in the position of having. To cool off a bunch of fanatics Versus trying to warm up a bunch of corpses There ought to be something distinctive about our fellowship I'm grateful for what God's done here But folks, these are principles Again, it doesn't matter what year it is What decade it is What century it is These are timeless principles, gnomic principles, timeless principles for every age that God's church is supposed to be converted, devoted, loving. You get those things in place, a healthy congregation, and then it will also be growing. God will add to His fellowship. Everybody, every believer is intended to be a part of a fellowship Don't be a lone ranger in your Christian life That is not God's plan It is not God's plan for you and me to be lone rangers We're to be part of a family I want to ask you to bow your heads with me this morning And as you do I want you to think a moment about several questions. For the church to be faithful, it means that you have to be faithful and I have to be faithful. Are you faithful? What if everybody in the church today were just like you? Think about that. What if everybody was just like me? Would the church be making any kind of an impact? Would the church be found faithful? You answer that question for yourself before the Lord. Maybe there's somebody here this morning that needs conversion not just membership into a church that comes as a result of being converted there may be somebody in the in the fellowship this morning that would say in all honesty there's never been a time that I'm aware of that I have been born again that the holy spirit Did that spiritual birth from above in my heart that I was born again, that I became a new creature in Christ. Old things were passed away. Behold, all things became new. Maybe you'd be honest enough this morning to say, preacher, I'm not aware that that has ever happened in my life. I want to ask you to come forward this morning. I just want to pray with you this morning. That's all. We'll, We'll ask God. In the coming hours or days To do that in your life To convert you That he would regenerate your heart That you would be born again I'd love to pray that with you today Will you commit yourself to offering Continuing witness of the word of God Be devoted to the word of God And grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Will you pray for teachers of this church and for leaders that will be faithful in proclaiming the apostles' doctrine? Solid biblical exposition. Pray for us. I think of Joshua and Caleb who held Moses' arms up during the battle. Moses needed that. Would you hold our arms up in prayer? Will you commit yourself today to the fellowship of the church? You need the body of Christ and the body needs you. We need each other. Maybe today you know you're converted but you don't have a local church family. You need one. A church family can help you and there are people here that need your help. Perhaps in the invitation time you need to slip out and come forward. Let's have prayer together. and Let me introduce you as desiring membership in this fellowship. Father, do your work in our midst. Again, thank you for the example of the church in the book of Acts. They have so much to teach us. Lord, we have never outgrown nor will we outgrow these timeless principles that we see in this passage. Do your work in us and help us to continue steadfastly in the things of the Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.